0: Oh boy everybody uh I'm so excited to be here today for this continuing conversation uh 2017 is when I first got introduced to Star Trek Adventures um, and and I knew there was a name in the book that I kept seeing pop up, and we even had a chance to interview him on the blog on Continuing Missions, and that's Nathan Dowdell, who we have here today. Uh, we're going to talk a lot with him today, find out his background, um, just to remind you in case you are new uh, to this show. I'm Michael Dismuke. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures um, RPG, in addition to a contrib- being a contributor to Continuing Missions, which is a blog that's been out there about Star Trek Adventures since 2017. We have the highest viewership. We love to be a great resource for the game. And of course, we have Jim Johnson. I'm going to let you introduce yourself and then give your introduction, what you know about Nathan Dowdale.
1: Word. Yeah. So Jim Johnson, I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures role-playing game published by Modiphius Entertainment. I've been involved with the game uh, almost from the beginning. I think I missed the first like five months of development, but uh, 2016 got into it. And uh, Nathan was a, a very major presence because he was involved in all of it, right, right from the very beginning. So I am super excited to have you on the show, Nathan. Why don't you give yourself a, a quick introduction for those who don't know you?
2: Hi, so I'm Nathan Daddle. I'm basically the go-to guy at the Modiphius for anything regarding the, the 2D20 system. Um, and beyond that, uh, I'm a veteran of the RPG industry, 13 years under my belt um uh, so far. Um and as has been mentioned, I've been involved in Star Trek Adventures from probably it's more accurate to say from before the very beginning. Um because I'd been I'd been working for Modifius for a few years before we got the we got the project and the idea of uh trying to get that license had bounced around and I had conversations with Chris Birch, the the owner of Modifius. Um a couple of times uh, before anything came a fruition. So the idea had already been, in, the, the seed had been planted um, long before work actually started on the game. So you're like the genesis
0: device of Star Trek Adventures, <laughs> basically. Okay, I get it now. I'm seeing, I'm just seeing that orange effect around you.
2: I <laughs> think <Okay, so, laughs> myself as
0: an engineer, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, notice where I put myself? I felt that way. And that's why I put myself in, in uh, the engineering section. So let's ask you a question. Tell us something maybe no one knows about Nathan Dowdell, because, you know, I want you to be more than
2: just a name in the book. Well, uh, about, well with, with regards to myself and my, my career in RPGs, uh, I've spoken of it a few times. Um, i i started out in rpgs um around 20 years ago um and managed to avoid starting with dungeons and dragons I started with warhammer fantasy roleplay uh they all dove in headfirst gming it without ever having played an rpg before gming um and just went for it and several of the players that were in that first session are still i'm still friends with them now i've still, still game with them on a that uh, yeah, over the years. Um and yeah, from that first session, never looked back. I'd been and then on the Star Trek side I grew up with TNG. Yeah. The we had a, a big three seater sofa in the uh in the living room at home growing up. And three seater sofa was ideal for pretending it was the bridge of the enterprise <laughs> <Nice. laughs> way then. Um so kind of star trek was one of the formative franchises of my youth and the opportunity to give back to it um you know through uh, through rpgs was uh, it was an opportunity i wasn't going to let anybody else take away from me it was going to be yeah <laughs> and uh, i was fortunate enough that, that uh, everyone else let me just get on with it and do my th- do my thing your passion shows so
0: so i like i'm a very visual learner a lot of us are what would we have seen if we could have been there the day that nathan dowdell discovered this thing called rpg what would we have seen where did you discover
2: um so i'd been a fan of um of 40k and uh, wyam fantasy for a number of years before then um and basically just stumbled upon the the Warhammer fantasy Roleplay rulebooks rule books in uh, a bookstore um you know just in the in the city center woton based out in the UK corner at um and I picked up the the core rule book and the uh, one of the big source books that was available with it um thought they looked interesting went home it, it, it went, went home and from there just got increasingly engaged by the idea of this kind of game. Picked up a couple of other books here and there, an adventure or two, and just went headfirst into it and never looked back. I love that. That's so awesome.
0: And so again, tell us the first book you picked up again. What was the premise of it?
2: Oh, it's uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. So it's the the RPG of the the Warhammer you know it's the fantasy and uh, so you know orcs and goblins and trolls but that kind of grim, dark, and slightly absurd side of things the you know lots of bad puns in foreign languages and yeah you
0: know. <laughs> well you're like me i, n- I never played dungeons and dragon ever i never have it was not my first trip since rpg i really i don't think i don't
1: think i realized that
0: yeah, nice to have that in common with you. Yeah. I was a straight Mar I was all Marvel, every Marvel system, Heroes Unlimited champions. Yeah. I was a big comic fan. So that was a- that's nice to hear that, you know, Nathan, that that you know, you have such a huge footprint in the industry, but Dungeons and Dragons was not your first game. That's so cool.
2: Now, I played it a little bit later on. Um, and yeah, it's it's hard to point it to the influence across the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, those early years of gaming were very much a case of um Lots of different friends that had all dabbled in RPGs, um, kind of bringing out weird and obscure games and running one-shots and two-shots and things like that, mm-hmm. and yeah, having a, a bizarre but memorable little one-shot of the old Red Dwarf role-playing game, uh, where I was the ship's doctor and a hologram, but being a hologram didn't stop me being a hypochondriac. <laughs> <That's laughs> uh, and various other, just yeah, a lot, a very diverse set of gaming experiences early on, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where you know the big name in the industry is very much just one other game, and then just kind of building from that. I, you, you mentioned that you've got a history with the Marvel games. I, I, I dabbled in one of the older ones, the, the dice list one with the gems, okay. um, a little bit, and then uh, went heavily into uh marvel heroic when that came out around a decade ago mm-hmm. um that was and remains my go to superhero game wow um, yeah. I, I nearly ended up working on it as well uh, i was signed up to write for one of the the event books that they were that they had planned and the that uh, the line got cancelled oh uh, yeah exactly.
0: so, i was there in that heartbreaking year when it got cancelled too <laughs> <laughs> that was that was actually where we, that was a, one of our favorites too. We were, we loved TSR. We loved phaser rip. As many people will know that system was based very much off Dungeons and Dragons was the TSR game, but definitely heroic was way easier to play. Um, far was, My my friends had moved all over the planet. So.
2: But that does kind of lead back into Star Trek as well. Cause around that time, you're kind of delving into, um, the various iterations of the cortex system that, uh, Cam Banks and at the time, um, Margaret Vice Productions was um, putting out. Um, I had pondered, uh, yeah, a few times on a forum about um, how I'd do a Star Trek RPG um, to my tastes. Yeah, I'd, I'd looked at a few of the previous ones in passing and saw it kind of it, they felt very, very focused on trying to simulate the, the world of Star Trek, and that didn't that never felt right to me. But I've looked at things like uh, the Smallville RPG, Leverage RPG, and has kind of pondered, how would I do Star Trek using that kind of approach? Um, And elements of that stuck around and ended up becoming parts of the foundation of Star Trek Adventures when uh, development on that started.
0: Nice. Now, had you already developed, give us a kind of a history of some of the game systems you worked on before Star Trek, or was Star Trek your first?
2: Oh, no. Star Trek's far well, from my first. Uh, I've been, um, so for about three years, like, right at the start of my career, I wrote for Fantasy Flight Games on the the Warhammer 40,000 role-playing games on Rogue Trader, Death Watch, uh, Only War, and Black Crusade. Um, and that's kind of like the starting point of my, of uh, myself in the industry. And then um, around 2030, 2014, one of the two, um I got uh, hired by Modiphius to do some work on um Mutant Chronicles, which was being it was in Kickstarter at the time, and they just announced that Jay Little, who designed um the Star Wars um RPGs that Fantasy Flight um made, um he was being he'd been brought in as, an, as a as a designer on the uh, on the project. Um so I came in expecting just to write the background and ended up taking on additional more and more development work until I'd written that third of the core. book. Um, And by the time that project ended, um, Jay Little moved on to go to other projects and he was brought in on a just for that project. And I found myself as the subject matter expert for the 2D20 system because I knew it basically better than anybody else at that point. I was the one, I was the person that had been, I'd been up to my elbows in it for the better part of a year by that point. And we'd, we'd announced that we'd be using the same system, then dubbed the 2D20 system for Conan and for Infinity. Or I think Infinity was announced first. Um, and I was involved kind of not leading the design but certainly involved in writing up core writing up the core rules and providing the framework that the project leads on those games could could run um and I, so with those I, three games that we had established when Star Trek Adventures was uh kicking off.
0: Talk to us about the 2d20 development of it why you like that system you obviously you know it's, it's clear through the core rule, but it, it's a very popular system. What about two D twenty work? Who, who whose idea was it initially, and to go full
2: board on that? It comes from several people. Um, there are elements of it that uh, were originated by uh, Mikhail Cross, who for the most part is our is one of our lead graphic designers, um, but he's dabbled in game design as well, which arguably makes him a better graphic designer for RPGs because he knows what works from a game perspective as well as a uh, uh an artistic perspective um and there were elements of it that were devised by chris birch uh and by ben Beaton who helped with a lot of it. he was kind of the the main guy that i bounced ideas off of um uh, back during uh the, those first three games um and he'd been around for pretty much i don't think for a little bit longer than i had so he was the other yeah, kind of formative voice on Duty Twenty. Uh, early on, but I think the the things that are, so it, it comes from many places, and then there are you know, J. Little's influences and elements that I'd introduced. Um, so the the use of zones in combat um, was an element that I brought in from seeing them work really well in Fate um, and similar systems. Um, there are elements that of, of the game that just. Um, that hadn't because i came on halfway through development there are chunks of the game that wouldn't exist if i hadn't come along because someone else would have done them differently um so there is a, a sense of I, I do have a sense of ownership of the system even if it wasn't all my idea because i've been there kind of bringing it into you know, bringing it into existence
0: that's kind of historical that's history making it <laughs> so I gotta ask though what's your favorite RPG of all time then?
2: I I find it very difficult to pick a single favorite RPG um, I like different games for different experiences and how those experiences match what I uh, what I'm expecting out of them so I yeah you know, Star Trek Adventures is very much the RPG that I would make to play Star Trek because it gives me that experience as a result of it. I wouldn't, without some serious reworking, I wouldn't use it for a different sci-fi setting or a different sci-fi game because it's, it's not built for that. I would have to you know, open up the engine, tear it apart and rebuild it to get us to do something like uh, Mass Effect or Star Wars. Um, so I tend to find that at specific settings I'll have a favoured choice for. Specific genres, as I said, like Marvel Heroic, my favorite super's RPG, because uh, I've just found it it works for all the things that I want out of that genre. Um,
0: well said. I think I think that honestly, I, I it's nice to hear you say that because um, Jim knows that we're very much a yes and here um, when it comes to gaming and people adapting games for their for their use. Um, and so we really, on social media, we stop the the arguments real quick. We're like no, 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 we're not here to find one above the other. So you being able to say that you're looking for the best system that works for the narrative is is refreshing to hear. Um, And so, uh, with all the these years of of RPG under your belt now, what do you prefer? Would you have, you kind of answered it, but like there's crunchy mechanic games. There's there's lighter games again, is that totally based on just genre
2: when it comes it's to it's partially based on that, but I tend to sit like somewhere in the middle ground with that regard. i uh, if a system is too light uh, mechanically, I'll tend to get bored because I like I like having some game mechanics to get my teeth into alongside the storytelling um if something's too heavy um then it becomes a lot to remember and it's a lot of additional effort for potentially not as much reward as you'd hope out of it. So I like to find something in the middle, at uh, the middle ground. So for me, RPGs are very much the, the point at which storytelling and playing a game cross. And I, you don't want too, I don't want too much of one or the other. If I wanted to tell a story, I'd do that. If I wanted to play a game, I'd do that. Those are different experiences, and RPG is the middle point, the intersection.
0: well said. I'm taking notes on that one. Jim knows why Jim from your from your from your opinion and your point of view about the two d twenty system um you played different versions of Star Trek RPGs um, kind of the same question to you you know where it's landed now. Uh, what do you feel about the two d twenty system
1: um so, uh, when I, when I first got into the, got involved in the game as a writer and I was reading the playtest materials, <clears throat> I was really excited uh, because it was, it was a different approach to Star Trek, uh, role-playing games compared to like Last Unicorn and Decipher and FASA. And, uh, I, I had been playing a, some version of a Star Trek RPG for, you know, 30 mumble years. And, um, a lot of times my group, we, we had a very specific vision for how we wanted to play Star Trek because we watched the show all the time. We watched it together as a group. We watched it individually, et cetera. And we were really, really, really into that narrative kind of storytelling scene by scene approach to role-playing the star Trek. And uh, none of those earlier systems really quite fit the way we wanted to do it. Cause they were like, it, they were so skill heavy. And they were just like, you know, it, it was that emulation that you were talking about, Nathan, where you were, it was trying to really present the setting in a, in a way that we didn't care about. Right. We didn't care about like uh, you know, whole points and shield numbers and, uh, and the real nitty gritty stuff. We wanted to get into the storytelling and we wanted a game system that facilitated that. So we kind of ended up making our own homebrew, uh, system and just kind of like winged it for the most part, but, but that, that freed us up and enabled us to tell great, you know, Star Trek stories together. And, um, the 2d 20 system, like when we were going through that playtest and we playtested it a lot, um, it was like, this is, this is the, this is the first time we had played a game that, that like presented a Star Trek game the way we wanted to run it, like 97, 98 percent there, which was, which was great. It was like, wow, like we're, we're on the same general wavelength as Nathan, and this was super cool. and uh, just dove, dove right into it. And uh, I mean, now you know we're five and a half, six years into it. Like if we are talking about the 2D20 system you know as a whole, I love how you are able to adapt it to different intellectual properties and different you know games and different and create different tones. And different um experiences from you know Dune and Mutant Chronicles and uh Homeworld and, and John Carter and Star Trek and like they're all the same system at the core, but they're all they have very different gameplay, which I think is amazing. Um, and I think it's something that uh like if I if I remember back in the days of the third edition, it's like third edition SRD, and everybody was coming up with a a, a 3.0 or a 3.5 version of, of a game, and uh they were like they all kind of felt the same, right? Because they're all very, very 3.5. And uh, I remember being frustrated about that because it was like, okay, you're just taking the SRD and you're slapping on a new, uh, this is just my opinion, because that's what I saw. And they didn't feel different enough, right, to to yeah. me. Yeah,
0: can you define the SRD? And,
1: uh, for you? Uh, SRD is a systems reference document. So, you know, back in the day, uh, Wizards of the Coast created one for their uh, 3.0 or 3.5 edition. I think it was 3.5, I don't remember now. I didn't look at it that deeply um <clears throat> but so they, they presented. but then they expanded it to 3.5 okay great thank you nathan um so it, it's, it's like it's presenting the core rule set and then and then developers making their own games can can add stuff to it and then you know make it make it a new game but what i found is like in the limited number of 3.5 srd games i played they all felt very 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 similar like even more similar than than I really wanted. And I was like, I don't want to play D anD D in Stargate, or or I didn't want to play D anD D in some other setting. I, I want to play that setting, right? I don't. And, and I think uh, chaining chaining it to to that rule set was hard because it was like, okay, I'm re- I was really familiar with D anD D at the time, and uh, it was like, okay, I'm getting the same experience, and I want a different experience. So that's one of the things I appreciate about two D twenty is that it's a different experience every time I play a different version of it. Um, Star Trek is always going to be my first love because that's that's what I've been playing forever now. And uh, I don't see that changing. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I think that was just a long winded answer there, Michael. But, uh, yeah, I, no, no, I really it. And, yeah.
0: No, and yeah. even to go on to it more, you know, maybe Jim answer first and then Nathan, what what do you know? Because you're both very connected on social media. I mean, I yeah. can't I, I there was never a time when I was playing Marvel RPG for 20 years. Where I could go on a board, ask a question, have the actual game designer or project manager respond within like thirty minutes. Sometimes, you know. Um, so, with that said, what 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 are both of your general feel about how easy it is for a, to adopt for a new player? Um, general adoption. What what buzz are you hearing out there, Jim and Nathan?
1: About the Star Trek game? Yeah, uh, or, yeah, yeah, adopt. Uh, yeah, in
0: in connection with the 2d20 system though, because for 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 me, I mean, my personal experience, you know, I'm used to TSR, so bring 103 dice with you, and and Margaret Weiss system, you know, you gotta have a uh, four or six or ten, you know, you gotta have it all. All of a sudden, I was like, 2d20, that's it. Okay, six sided dice for my Monopoly game. Okay, yeah, you know, <laughs> it was really, it was so simple. I was kind of like, mm-hmm. but then I know I'm in love with it now. So so what else are you hearing from social media or new adopters to the system?
1: Um, I mean, at, at this point, now that we're six years into it, um, what I'm hearing more often than not is like uh, because of the the opportunities now for people to get into the game are different than they were five years ago. Right. I mean, five years ago, we had the core book and the and the quick start. And that was like that was your entry. Those are your entry points for the most part. And but now we've got we've got two different quick starts. We've got two different we got three different core books now because we got the we just got the tricorder set out. Uh, We got the starter set. And then we're selling. we're doing these great um, opportunities with Humble Bundle. Humble Bundle keeps inviting us back uh, to do um, opportunities with them. And so what I've been reading on social media more often than not, is somebody will buy into the Humble Bundle, right, they'll spend, you know, 10 $20 and get everything for the line just about and so they got this huge gigantic pile of stuff to go through and they're a little overwhelmed which is understandable right i mean if you if you buy into a five year old line and you're getting 30 40 products like where do you start and uh, you got to start with a quick starter you got to start with a starter set but uh, i think what for the most part what i'm hearing is like people are like where do i find people to play this where do i find gamers because a lot of people are still online and uh, or you know playing playing primarily online and they want to know where to go. Where do I go? And uh, we're just, you know, directing them to Facebook and to the Discord and to uh, the subreddit and stuff. And uh, I think, um, I think if we could figure out, like, if Modiphius could figure out a way to get into more of the virtual tabletops, or even create some sort of thing on their website where they could say, okay, here's here's the gamers that are playing and running the game and are willing to run and play the game, and, and make that net, that that social network happen. Uh, of course, I know, you know, we're not unique, right? Plenty of other game companies want that too, because uh, you can only do so much in social media um, to get people into it. But you uh, you raised a good point, Michael. Um, I, and this is not to pat myself or Nathan on the back or anything, but I I would really have to struggle to think how many times I've seen game developers online and available to the degree that we are like and nathan even especially nathan you you were an inspiration for me and i don't think i ever told you that but i should i should have told you because you because you um especially when star trek was first came out you were on all the social media platforms that i was on and you were much more verbose than i was right you were you were always willing to answer people's questions on the official forums or on rpg net or like end world or whatever. And like, I'd see a question. It's like, Oh, I'm starting to formulate an answer. And then Nathan already had like a five paragraph response to it. It was like, Oh, Nathan's already got this covered. We're good. Um, but it's, it's just amazing, uh, to me, I mean, to me as a, as a, as a gamer, to, to have that level of connectivity to the people who are involved in the game. And I know for a fact that the fans really appreciate that. Like uh, when I'm on Facebook or, or on discord or on any of the other channels, a lot of times I'll see a comment from somebody that'll say, Hey, Oh, I didn't even realize we had the game. You know the game developer or the line manager or whoever here. This is amazing. I can, we can pepper them with questions or, or just get that feedback and stuff. And it just helps build the community, I think. And uh, I, I mean, like you said, Michael, back in the day, I wish. Well, well, a, I wish we had had the internet, is of course. But when I was playing D and D and 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 uh, Boot Hill and Star Frontiers, like the internet wasn't even a thing yet. <laughs> we didn't have it. the only people we could talk to about it was was our local friends. Or if we manage to make it to a game store or something, you know, talk to the other gamers at the game store. But I'll stop talking. And Nathan, what are your experiences as far as the buzz online for uh, for Star Trek Adventures in particular?
2: Um, I mean, there has always been this element that uh, has been a, a, a cha- I, I've kind of taken it as a personal challenge that um, the the system looks more complicated than it is when you actually play it, and almost everybody that I found that. If, if, you know, Gotten through those that initial learning process have gone. It's a great system. What yeah, it, it, there is a point where it clicks, and they just and everything resolves, and they're they're fine with it. I've had great experiences uh, in um, about conventions and face to face demo games, teaching people how to play, um, and it just not just clicking with people, but really resonating with them. Um, and this isn't just at gaming conventions, uh, as I've mentioned a few times elsewhere on, uh, social media, I've done, um, a few, uh, Star Trek conventions here in the UK over the last few years, uh, the destination Star Trek events, which unfortunately won't be continuing, um, cause, uh, internal company, big company politics. Um, and I've had situations, yeah when everybody is already on board for star trek all you need to teach them is the the actual playing the game part. and i've had people who across a weekend have turned up at the start of the weekend and been what's this about i'm not sure about this i'm not sure i can yeah keep up with what's going on and by the end of the weekend they might have come back for two or three additional demo games it's the same demo they're not getting anything new out of it but the the scenario plays differently when you've got different people at the table and they've gotten more and more engaged in it each time because they're more confident with it. Uh, I've had, I actually had at UK Games Expo earlier this year, uh, had a couple that turned up at uh, my demo table of demoing Star Trek and acting completely uh, there this year. I had a couple that turned up to the table um, who I had met at Destination Star Trek uh, last uh, November. Separately, they were in, yeah they came to the, they came to the table on in, in separate groups. Uh, both played the game, both got really involved with it, both went and bought uh, stuff at the stand behind me, and they carried on. And then subsequently met when they were both looking for groups, met through mutual friends. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome.
0: Um, you're dead on right though. I mean, again, Nathan, I don't know if you've listened to previous podcasts of, of this show, but I've said it before. I my 13-year-old niece, my 18-year-old nephew, never my 14-year-old nephew never watched Star Trek before. Friends of mine who never watched sci-fi before. And on vacation, I brought it. We played it, and they're like, when are we playing again? And it was so I it it wasn't like that with other games with all these different dyes, and they got to look at their sheet. Once they hold their 2D20 and they know their base number and they roll, the game is on. And and the narration really pushes it through. So that's why I think it's one of, the, that's why I do think it is the best design game I've ever personally played just because of its teachability factor um, from, from kids all the way up to non-sci-fi loving people who just want a good story. So that's why I wanted to ask that question about what you felt about the reaction.
1: No, that's great. Yeah. In fact, uh, I made myself a note while you were talking, Nathan. Um, at some point, I need to schedule some time with you and pick your brains about how you approach demos at at uh, at game conventions and stuff. Because uh, one of the things that Michael and I have been talking about is, uh, and what I've been thinking about a lot is, like I would love to figure out a way to to create almost like a training package where we could we could have some game masters run games online and just get people into the game, like 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 a like a con demo but online, like uh, either on Roll Twenty or even just Discord or or bo- a video or something. Um, because I would, I would personally love to do more of those. And I just haven't had the time, <laughs> uh, but, but I know you've got a ton of experience doing that at conventions because I think Michael, you're right. You know, just getting people into the game, getting people at the table, virtual or otherwise and getting them started with the, with the, the core mechanics and then easing them into the rest of it as, as they go and then tell a great Star Trek story while they're at it. That's really what I want to do, especially for the, the newer fans that are coming into it by virtue of the humble bundles. Or they're watching uh, 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 Prodigy or Lower Decks or the new series, and they're like, "Oh, look, there's a Star Trek RPG. I can go check it out." So, uh, Nathan, I'll definitely reach out to you at some point to uh, to pick your brain because I would love to get your insights into like how you, how, like the kind of materials you put together, and then like how you actually um, yeah. you know, go into it. I think that that could almost be a whole episode unto itself, it's Michael. soon that
2: we can yeah. discuss during. So,
1: yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm going to definitely rope you in for another episode on that. I think that would be <laughs> good, and if you have visuals, then I can integrate them into the video too, which yeah. would be good for people to assemble their startups.
2: That's something that uh, Jim mentioned as well. The, you know, that you both mentioned the online presence. Um, I mean, the way that I look at, yeah my my presence online as a as a game designer and developer. I got my start in the industry writing homebrew material for Dark Heresy um, and just putting stuff out there because I had been in the mood to put some stuff together, maybe put some stuff that I could use in my own games, and then putting it out there for other people to use because yeah, it felt like a reasonable thing to do. And I'd been a playtester for, uh, for Dark Heresy, so I, I, put, I had some stuff available to go out live. The same day the rule book came out because I'd seen the, the rules beforehand so I was already kind of active, just kind of doing homebrew stuff My, yeah and the, the kind of community stuff that you all, you guys do on um continuing missions and then because of the stuff that I was putting out I got contacted by Ross Watson and Sam Stewart who were running the 40k RPGs um for fantasy flight and they invited me to to, to write for them professionally So I got my start by being active in the community, and I figured that I kind of owe it to the communities that I started out in to stay there, to stay active, to stay part of it, and be part of the discussion. Yeah. And as you as
0: you talk, I'm like, I think we were split at birth, dude. I think we're like fraternal twins. (laughs) Something that's like my entire story with Star Trek Adventure.
1: I I mean, I mean, we're 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 triplets, honestly. I mean, those of you who are only listening on the podcast like Nathan's talking and and Michael and I are nodding our heads in agreement because I think all three of us got to start the same way, right? Like Michael, I mean, obviously you've been writing stuff for Star Trek and as a fan, and then you got into it. And I I mean, I did the exact same thing. I was a playtester on Decipher's Lord of the Rings RPG, and I loved the game and the setting so much that I just started making up my own stuff. Um, you know, fan base stuff, even to the point where, uh, I was I was one of those guys who would go out looking for the right font packages, right? That I want to emulate the font and the and the layout and the design that they did. And I got what was I using? Some like cheapo uh, Microsoft Publisher or something. I mean, it was a horrible system to try to emulate the layout. But uh, me and a couple other folks that were really into the Lord of the Rings game, we just kind of like created our own content. We were just churning out content um, just for the love of the game and for the for the fans. And that led us into working on the game, you know, for realsies and. Uh, uh, so I'm just I'm just nodding my head here because I know all three of us did. The, like, I mean, and it's, it's not unique to us, obviously, because like I know a lot of people, that's how they get their start in the industry is they love a game. They create fan content for it. And then they either push to get noticed or someone says, hey, I saw your stuff. I like it. Um, you know, come come work for us or something like I mean, even now, 20 something years later, I still get messages from people who who still find my old Lord of the Rings stuff online. Like, I don't know where they're finding it because I didn't even upload it. But Somebody uploaded it to the internet and it's out there in the in the great big ether, right? And it's like, oh yeah, you wrote this thing 20 odd years ago. Can I get a copy of it? It's like, That's well, I, I think I've got a zip drive somewhere <laughs> or a thumb drive somewhere. Yeah. I don't even know. Cause that was like 10 computers ago or something. So I just, I love the fact, Nathan, that you're telling a very similar story and uh, uh, it makes me appreciate, you know, you and, and Michael so much more because it's like, yeah, we've all got the common... The common background on that, so I'll, I'll stop talking now. <laughs> you don't have to stop talking; it's fine, Nathan, oh, wait, wait. I'm a co-host. I don't have to stop talking. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just fascinating, Nathan. That uh, that's where where you got it going, and then from there, it just
2: it just snowballed, right? You got involved in uh, other games. Yeah, I mean, I, as it happens, um I got involved in Mediff. I got involved with, with Mediffias through Ross Watson again. Um, uh, was a, a a friend of his had uh, had had been involved in the in Mutant Chronicles, or had been signed up to write for Mutant Chronicles, and had to drop out for um you know, for personal reasons. And Ross recommended me um for the job, and it was just I was just going to be doing um, a background chapter for the core book and the background for the for one of the source books, and I come in and. Just end up developing chunk, huge chunks of the game system, and mm. yeah, it, then t- going from being a, a part-time freelance gig to a full-time job, and yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it really yeah. shows you where passion can pay off. You know, we've talked about this again in, in some of the other podcasts because people are asking, "Well, how do I get into the industry?" So I think your story is just model for. For that, where you're, if you love doing something, if you love to paint, you don't wait to get paid to paint. If you love playing the guitar, you don't wait to get paid to play the guitar. And story writing and RPG design and all that, it's a passion. Um, and again, as is in proof in your case, Jim's case, in my case, especially now with the internet, is that when you put yourself out there, if you're doing quality stuff, you're going to get noticed. You know, and especially um, one of the things I commend about you and Jim also is you really make a safe space for everyone to come into the game. You, even though social media can be so twisted and bitter sometimes, I personally the only reason I'm ever on social media is for work, whether it's my day job or whether it's this. Um, but that the space has been kept safe for people to come in and just have a good time is worth its weight in gold, also, or latinum in this case.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. um I think. I, I. I mean. I know that just by our natures, Nathan and I try to create safe spaces. I think. Part of that that amplifies that though is probably the fact that we're working on Star Trek, right? And Star Trek, yeah. by its very definition, <laughs> is uh, is all about diversity and equity and equality and, and creating safe spaces for people. And I think I think it would be a it would be a crime against the IP if we didn't do that, right? Like if we were you know creating gates and uh, keeping people out and you know certain people in, certain people out, or whatever, it just wouldn't fit the the milieu, right? Or the or the uh, IP. So, uh, um. Yeah. So, but thanks for noticing. Appreciate it, Michael.
0: Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. There's so much to talk about and we still have more to talk about, but I want to break it into two episodes. So I'm going to ask everyone to tune in next week. Uh, We're going to take a pause here uh, to get set up for the next episode. Nathan, hang around um, because I have still some really good questions to ask you. I know people want to know.